The following presentation is a production of Alpha and Omega Ministries Incorporated and is protected by copyright laws of the United States and its international treaties. Copying or distribution of this production without the expressed written permission of Alpha and Omega Ministries Incorporated is prohibited. Well, we've just finished a session where we're discussing is the Bible the Word of God? Now we will transition into the next session, which will be, is the Quran the Word of God? Again, this will be two 20-minute presentations, then another discussion for 45 minutes, and then at the end of that time, we are going to uh, go ahead and let each one of the gentlemen do closing remarks for 10 minutes, and during that time, if you could please turn in any questions that you have to each one of our, either from Sovereign, you'll see the houndstooth uh, jackets, or any of the Reformed Theological Seminary representatives, and you'll see some of the folks right back there with their hands up that will be more than happy to take those questions, and then those will be delivered up here to the front as soon as you receive those questions. So again, would you please welcome for the affirmative position is the Quran, the Word of God, Imam Muhammad Masri. Well, thanks again to Reformed Theological Seminary for hosting this event, and a uh, great honor to be with Dr. White on stage to discuss these important questions about our respective faith. Now, there is no doubt in the mind of any Muslim that the Quran is the Word of God. So the simple answer is yes. Of course, for almost all Christians that I have encountered, no one, no Christian recognizes the Quran as the Word of God. And even though we recognize the Torah and the Gospel as the Word of God, not because we studied them, it's because the Quran told us, because God in the Quran told us that they are. And we invite faithful folks to look at the Qur'an as this possible next scripture that is true revelation from God. In the Qur'an, unlike we have seen in the Bible, the word Qur'an itself appears 70 times, as well as there are other titles such as the book or the scripture or the law that appear even more. So there is no doubt that the author of the Qur'an, God Almighty, has uh, spoken about a book, about scripture that is contained, and he gave it its name, the Qur'an. It wasn't made up by a human being. And this is a verse from chapter 41, verse 1 through 3, Many of the chapters in the Qur'an begin with letters as the first verse. In this case, it's H-M, or Hamim in Arabic. A revelation from the compassionate, the merciful. These are names and attributes of God. A book whose verses have been structured as an Arabic Qur'an for people who know. So if I open the Qur'an, if I was not told by anyone 
that this is a, a religious book, I will be immediately faced with these uh, introductions saying, this book is a revelation from God, the Lord of the worlds. And so there is no doubt in my mind, unlike what I showed you earlier, if I'm reading the gospel according to Luke, I would not know if it wasn't in the gospel that this is actually a gospel. If it was taken out separately, I would think there is someone writing a letter to somebody else without uh, elaboration. So it is important for God to be very clear when it comes to matter of faith, to be super clear like the sun in midday about these issues. And we believe that throughout the Quran you notice this clarity about who is the source and how it was revealed. We are told in the Quran that God sent the angel Gabriel or Jibreel with the Quran over the span of 23 years. And we know the very beginning of the Quran and we know the very end of the Quran and we know all the spots in between. So it is very clear to us that a revelation has taken place to a man who for 40 years before that neither wrote anything nor spoke about being a prophet nor studied somewhere. He was illiterate, did not read or write. And suddenly, at the age of 40, he claims, I'm receiving these messages from God. And the angel Gabriel is bringing them to me. And these messages go like this, like in chapter 32, verse 2, revelation of the book about which there is no doubt from the Lord of the world. Not just the God of Israel or an Arabian God, this is the Lord of the worlds. And we know today what that entails, that there are multiple worlds, multiple universes out there. Muhammad in the Quran is instructed to say, Qul is always preceded many verses of the Quran where God is telling him to say. And that's confirming things in the Bible where it said he will only say what he's commanded to say. Say, O Muhammad, to all the people, all mankind, indeed I'm the messenger of Allah to you all. The word Allah is the personal name of God. That's the name that Muslims everywhere use, so we don't translate that name to God. We always use the word Allah because names should not be translated. My name is Muhammad, and I don't translate it when I bring it from Arabic to English. So is the name of God. So we're not just talking about any God, but the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So says, O mankind, I'm indeed the messenger of Allah to you all. From him to whom belongs the dominion of the heavens and the earth, there is no deity except him. He gives 
life and he causes death. So believe in Allah and his messenger, meaning Muhammad, the unlettered prophet, who believes in Allah and the words and his words and follow him that you may be guided. This is a message after uh, uh, an earlier verse, verse 157, where the address is really to the people of the book, to Jews and Christians, and to the entire human race, that Muhammad is a final prophet, came, and notice here the emphasis in the Quran that he is no more than a prophet, a human being, a servant of God. We do not worship Muhammad. We do not elevate him. We treat him just like Moses and Jesus and Abraham and Noah and Adam. The first few verses, five verses that were revealed to the Prophet Muhammad at age 40 in the year 609, the end of it, are contained in the beginning of chapter 96, verses 1 through 5. Recite. And the story goes like this. When the angel Gabriel came to Muhammad, and Muhammad was at the mountain of light and in the cave, praying to God for guidance, for solutions for the many problems that human, the human race had, this came after a long sessions of worship that his prayers were answered and the angel Gabriel came to him and he basically instructed him to read, to recite. Muhammad being unlettered, did not read or write. He said, I don't know how to read, I don't read. The angel squeezed him and said, read. And Muhammad repeated, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't read. And again and again. And then when Muhammad realized there that this force that's holding him wants him to read, he said, read what? So that's where he says, read in the name of your Lord who created, created man or the human being from a clinging cells. Read or recite, and your Lord is the most gracious, who taught by the pen, taught man that which he knew not. And that was the beginning. Muhammad did not really understand what's taking place. He came down from the mountain, literally running. He was afraid of what just happened because that force, that angel disappeared. And as he was descending the mountain, he hears voice from above him, says, Muhammad, you are the messenger of Allah and I'm Gabriel. And he looks around, he sees nobody, but he sees above him, everywhere he's looking, an angel in his angelic form, filling the skies above him, talking to him. And he rushes, he is now even more scared, and he goes back to his wife, and he said, I have seen and heard words 
they are itched in my mind, in my memory, and I don't know what happened to me. She said, you are a great man throughout your life. You're always truthful, you're always honest, you're always just and fair, you never wrong anyone, everyone loves you. If God is talking to you, you know, God is not gonna do something bad to you. So we know that if I didn't break the law, I don't have to be afraid of law enforcement. So we know all the revelation that came in between, and we know the last revelation concluding the Quran in Surah 5, where it says, today I have completed for you your religion and perfected my bounty upon you and have approved for you Islam as a religion. And there was a final verse indicating the, the death of the Prophet and says, and fear a day when you will be returned to Allah, then every soul will be compensated for what it earned and they will not be, uh, they will not be threatened or wrong unjustly. So we know that indicated the conclusion, even though Muhammad lived several months after that, no new revelations came down. All of his companions understood this was the conclusion. Now, the scripture was preserved in multiple ways. The first way was through, through memorization. In an oral tradition where Arabs would recite, you know, hours of poetry from memory uh, without mistakes, these people did not read or write. They were unlettered. And they did not have the history of writing things down. So they committed what they heard to memory. Hundreds, literally thousands of Muhammad's companions memorized the scripture. And that tradition still continues on. So the Quran was revealed verbally to the Prophet. It wasn't on a tablet. It wasn't in writing. And it wasn't expected to be. This tradition of memorization continues to our day to day. Millions of Muslims around the world memorize the entire text of the Quran verbatim with the pronunciation and accent the way it is revealed. And you can travel, especially in Ramadan or any day of the year, especially in Ramadan, anywhere in the world where the Quran is being recited cover to cover, and you will hear the exact same Quran being recited in the original language. I memorized the Quran. My son memorized the Quran. There are dozens of Muslims in this community who memorize the Quran. It's not a difficult job. It takes several years of hard work, but I'm yet to find a Christian who memorized the Bible. The chain of memorizers. Now, everyone who memorizes the Quran has to do so with the aid of a teacher who has been certified to do so. Meaning, it's not haphazard 
process, but it is a chain. So we have, in here I'm showing you, a standard chain where the name of the person, like me, will appear, and then below it will appear who is his teacher, who certified him, when he was born, which year, which year he died, and so on. All the way back to the Prophet Muhammad. Okay? And those chains are known. They're not like endless chains. They are very well-defined chains known, and uh, it's, it's very difficult, near impossible, to fabricate someone's uh, chain and say, you learned it. From who? Once he gives you the name, say, and who is his teacher? I know. Yes or no? So this is a document that we earn, we're certified that you have memorized it without mistakes, without changes, the way it was revealed 1400 years ago. The second method of preservation was written down. The Prophet Muhammad did not read or write himself, but he commissioned four or more writers to sit down and only write down the Qur'an. He said, do not write everything I say, write only the Qur'an. When I receive it and I tell you this is Qur'an, you write it down, okay? And throughout his life, he would not allow them to write the hadith, his own speech, and to make sure they don't mix it up. That Qur'an was written on parchments, on stones, on big bones, on whatever was available to these official writers. But it was no doubt in the mind of any of the companions or the Prophet that the Qur'an is preserved because it's being recited and reviewed verbally. They all hear it. We recite it out loud from memory. And we stand in prayer and we read it out loud and if you make one change, somebody's going to correct you. If I make a mistake in Ramadan while reading the Qur'an, I'll have maybe a hundred people behind me shouting, No! So the Qur'an was compiled. We have that compilation. Okay? When the Prophet Muhammad passed away, and all of the companions knew that the Qur'an was complete, the, in the time of the first successor, the Caliph, Abu Bakr, who was the father-in-law of the Prophet and his most loyal companion. And he ruled for three years. So in his time, he ordered the writers of the Qur'an, especially under the leadership, appointed Zayd ibn Thabit, to be the leader of the committee, said, I want you to collect all what you have written into one book, okay? Why was that done? Because after the Prophet passed away, some of the companions passed who memorized the Quran entirely, they passed away in battles. And Abu Bakr said, I don't know what the future holds. Now we know exactly what the Qur'an is. 
but we don't want what happened to the Bible to happen here, to the scriptures before. And it was collected, and the master copy was given to the wife of the prophet to hold it. That wife is Hafsa, the daughter of the second caliph. And he lived for 10 years, and then the third caliph, Osman, okay, he commanded when Islam spread to today's Iraq and, and Iran, and Syria and Egypt and North Africa, Uthman said, now all of these destinations don't have a copy. They're, they need copies, master copies in the main centers. So he asked Zaid, who did the first compilation, get the copy from Hafsa, make copies of it, okay? And when these copies were certified, they were sent out so that everybody has access to the scripture. It's not only for few people. And these are master copies that exist today. This is in Uzbekistan. That you can see the actual from less than 20 years after the Prophet passed away in the original language. This is Imam Ali's, which is in uh, Meshhad in Iran. So proofs that the Quran was preserved with no errors and changes is known worldwide. There's one Quran in Arabic throughout the world. It is printed widely. You can take a look at it. It is known exactly how many chapters, 114, how many verses, 6,236, and it is known even every word and every letter. The Quran, still it, in its original language, similar to would be in Aramaic or Hebrews, and even though there are splits between Shia and Sunni and other groups, but all the Muslim groups have one, one Quran in Arabic. No councils were ever set up to discuss what belongs in or out. But how do we really know if the Quran is from God? Today, most people, like Dr. White said, that naturalists won't accept anything being inspired and all of this stuff. So we have to, if we give this Quran to a person today, say, verify it for yourself based on the content in it. When you compare it to its message and beliefs to the previous messages, you see consistency. The same message of monotheism, Unitarian monotheism of Abraham, Moses, even Jesus, and all the way back to Adam. If you look at using logic at its message, if it makes full sense, you want to compare the Quran to what we have discovered of artifacts in history about peoples and nations. We can test the content of the Quran against new scientific discoveries to see, because to God, he should know. He should not be contradicted by science. This is something that the Bible 
really uh, has issues with. So consistency with previous revelations, I just discussed that it's the same message from before. We share the same commandments, the shared history of the prophets, it is revealed to the same Semitic people. And the message makes full sense. It has the same noble teachings that you will find in Judaism and Christianity about God, about loving your neighbor, about respecting one another, forgiveness, mercy, justice, personal responsibility, equality, freedom, and so on. And the history of the Quran has been verified again and again by archaeology. The people, the figures, and the nations mentioned in it have been discovered after thousands of years under the sand, and they were verified to be true. Even though just a few decades ago, archaeologists were in complete denial, now they say it is true. And when we look at scientific statements in the Quran, or statements made in the Quran that today we can verify their authenticity in, in science, we find that in every field, and here is just few, in embryology, how we as human beings have been created and developed. In astronomy, how the, the universe or the multiverse has been created. In geology, in oceanography, in chemistry, even the speed of light is in the Quran. We have one minute. So, based on that, we look at, at the time of the Prophet Muhammad, we see that under no duress, the chief rabbi in Medina, the scholar of the Jews, Abdullah ibn Salam, accepted the Quran and said, this is, is exactly what we knew and what we expected. The Christians of Nijran who visited Medina and came and had debates and dialogues for days and held Sunday worship in the mosque of the Prophet with his permission, they all converted. 90% of the people of the Middle East, okay, who were at some point Jews and Christians, are the people who are Muslims today. So this is not some change. This is the same, you know, update of the story of Adam. Thank you. Thank you. Ibn Muhammad Masri. We're going to add an additional five minutes onto Dr. White's time, uh, just to be flexible here. Dr. White will have 25 minutes and then followed by our discussion. All right, thank you very, very much uh, for that. I, uh, I guess in a dialogue, uh, when, when you hear something that you disagree with, you, you, you probably need to say it pretty quickly. I just happened to hear at the end there the statement about the Christians of Nijran. They did not convert. Uh, they went back uh, there. You know why we know that? Uh, because the third caliph, Uthman, drove them out of uh, Saudi Arabia, modern Saudi Arabia. So we, we know they didn't convert. Uh, but they were very important in their dialogues with uh, Muhammad and possibly as part of the background of Surah 3. Why do I not believe that the Quran is the Word of God? Well, it's not really a positive thing to have to address, but 
uh, I think it is vitally important that we have an understanding. First of all, in comparing the Bible to the Quran, we're comparing apples and oranges. The Quran is 56% the length of the New Testament. It's 14% the length of the Bible. So it's much, much shorter than the Christian scriptures and the Jewish scriptures combined. Um, and it's much, much younger. Uh, the amount of time that it had to be transmitted uh, in oral and in written fashion prior to modern inventions such as the printing press is 600 years less than the New Testament and about uh, 2,000 years less than the oldest portions of the Old Testament. And so we have to keep those things in mind. We also have a single author, at least according to traditional Islamic sources, rather than many multiple authors, which you have with the Bible, which is a very, very different situation. So I, I think we need to keep those things in mind when we look at manuscripts, when we look at the transmission of the text and things like that. I'd like to expand upon what Imam Musli told you in regards to the collection of the Quran, citing from Sahih al-Bakari, which is a considered an authoritative Sahih sound uh, resource uh, from the Hadith collections amongst uh, Sunni Muslims. Abu Bakr then said to me, Umar has come to me and said, casualties were heavy among the Qura of the Quran, i.e. those who knew the Quran by heart, on the day of the battle of Yalmama, and I am afraid that more heavy casualties may take place among the Qura on other battlefields, whereby a large part of the Quran may be lost. Please note, this is an Islamic source concerned after the death of Muhammad that a large part of the Quran could be lost. That means it had not yet been written down. And if more of the Qura died, then portions of the Quran could be lost. Therefore, I suggest you, Abu Bakr, order the Quran be collected. So I started looking for the Quran and collecting it from what was written on palm stalks, thin white stones, and also from the men who knew it by heart. So I found the last verse of Surah Tawtaba, that's Surah 9, with Abu Khazami al-Ansari, and please note this, I did not find it with anybody other than him. So there's one verse of the Quran that he found with one person, in the memory of one person. It wasn't written down anywhere. No one else who had memorized the Quran remembered it. One person remembered it, and we'll find out later on, 20 years later, they found another verse that no one had remembered up at uh, this particular point in time. Then the complete manuscripts of the Quran remained with Abu Bakr till he died, then with Umar till the end of his life, and then with Hafsa, the daughter of Umar. That's Sahih al-Bukhari 6509. In 6510 we read, Hudaifa was afraid of there. Now this is, we've moved about 18 to 20 years into the future from that first collect collection. Hudaifa was afraid of there, the people of Sham and Iraq's differences in the recitation of the Quran. So he said to Uthman, O chief of the believers, save this nation before they differ about the book as Jews and the Christians did before. So Uthman sent a message to Hafsa saying, send us the manuscripts of the Quran so that we may compile the Quranic manuscripts in perfect copies and return the manuscripts to you. Hafsa sent it to Uthman. Uthman then ordered Zayd bin Thabit, Abdullah bin Azuzabair, Zayd bin Alas, and Abdurrahman bin Harith bin Hashim to rewrite the manuscripts in perfect copies. Uthman said to the three Qurayshi men, in case you disagree with Zayd bin Thabit on any point of the Quran, then write it in the dialect of the Quraysh. The Quran was revealed in their tongue. Now please note, this was not merely a recopying of one manuscript. This is an entire revision, or you wouldn't have to be worried about uh, whether it's in the Qureshi dialect or anything else like that. This is an entire revision that Uthman was working on. They did so, and when they had written many copies, Uthman returned the original manuscripts to Hafsa. Uthman sent to every Muslim province one copy of what they had copied, in order that all the other Quranic materials, whether written in fragmentary manuscripts or whole copies, be burnt. Now, this is extremely important, because what we have here is the Uthmanic revision. 
and the fundamental difference between what I believe the far more accurate way of transmitting the text of the New Testament, which is a free transmission, not controlled by a government or any external authority, versus a controlled transmission, which is what we have right here in the Islamic sources themselves, is that if they were successful in destroying all those previous, those previous materials, which I do not believe that they were, I believe that in the Sa'ana manuscripts, uh, in certain of the early tafsir literature, we have evidence of other readings that I'll get to in a moment, but if they had been successful, then you could never trace the text back to the original. You could only trace the text back to that, or that revision that took place here about 20 years after the time of Muhammad. Notice also, Sayyid bin Thabit added, a verse from Surat Azab was missed by me when we copied the Quran, and I used to hear Allah's apostle citing it. So we searched for it and found it with Kazami bin Thabit al-Ansari. The verse was, among the believers are men who have been true in their covenant with Allah, Surah 33, 23. So here, 20 years after Muhammad, they're still finding verses that were not a part of that original compilation that they made uh, shortly after the time of Muhammad. Now notice that outside of that particular uh, context, a Christian by the name of Al-Kindi, a Christian who had access to the very same kind of material that Bukhari had, said, then the people fell to variance in their readings. Some read according to the version of Ali, which they followed to the present day. Some read according to the collection of which we have made mention. One party read according to the text of Ibn Masud, another according to that of Ubay ibn Qab. When Uthman came to power and the people everywhere differed in their reading, Ali sought grounds of accusation against him. So here, Kindi gives the same story that Bukhari does about the great variations that existed in the early period of the Quran. Now, I do not have time to put before you all of the, uh, the uh, uh, scans and pictures that I would like to present to you in regards to the textual history of the Quran. I would simply recommend that you look at some of the materials that are available and some of the debates we've done on this issue. The point is, there is a textual history to the Quran. And there is a vast difference in the way the New Testament has been transmitted to us and the way the Quran has been translated to the Muslim community. And I would suggest to you that there are some major problems in regards to the methodology that was used in the uh, transmission of the text of the Quran. And by the way, let me also simply point out that the pictures of the Qurans that were, were provided, a vast majority of scholars, even I think Muslim scholars, uh, would question whether these are Uthmanic codices, uh, probably the earliest codices that exist today are the palimpsest manuscripts that were found at Sa'ana in the 1970s. Uh, but newer finds are being made. The one thing that does not yet exist is a critical edition of the Quran. It doesn't exist. There is none. That, we have our critical edition of the Greek New Testament, and we've got all those notes at the bottom of the page. But uh, uh, the imam took the copy of the Arabic there. And, and by the way, there are multiple readings even of the Arabic. There are at least three major ones in the world, different one print in India that's used in other places. Um, but you will not find in that Arabic Quran notes at the bottom of the page that say the Sa'ana manuscripts say this, Paris 328 says that. Uh, and there are textual variants. Uh, if you look at the top copy manuscript printed in Turkey, you will find at the beginning of that about six pages of textual variants in a chart. Um, I, have, I have pictures of that, but as yet there is not any type of, of, let's just put it this way, the study of the text of the Quran is in its infancy in comparison to the study of the text of the New Testament. And that is something that we will need to discuss. But that's not the whole, that's not the, that's not the issue. For me, Having read the Quran numerous times, having uh, taken advantage of, of early tafsir literature, and doing my best to try to understand the Quran in its language, I've learned just enough Arabic, I, I, I hobble along on my Hebrew basically to read through sections of the Quran in Arabic, 
But having done all of that, why do I not believe it is a revelation from God? Well, first of all, I'm a Christian. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Uh, when a book says that Jesus was not the Son of God, doesn't seem to understand what Son of God means to Christians, and fundamentally says that Jesus did not die upon uh, Calvary's cross, and hence there was no resurrection, uh, how can I, as a Christian, believe that that book is from God, while at the same time believing that the Tanakh and the New Testament are from God? It's, it's not a possibility. Uh, those people that are trying to pull these things together are not showing respect to Islam and not showing respect to Christianity. We need to discuss our differences, not try to gloss them over. And so what are some of the issues? Well, uh, I've put up on the screen in front of you from Surah Al-Maida, Surah 5, verses uh, uh, Ayat 71 and 72. They have certainly disbelieved who say, Allah is the Messiah, the son of Mary, while the Messiah has said, O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. Indeed, he who associates others with Allah, Allah has forbidden him paradise and his refuge is the fire, and there are not for the wrongdoers any helpers. Now let me just stop, I want to read the next ayah, but let me just stop right there and make sure you understand what's being said here. Now first of all, most Christians would not say God is the Messiah, the son of Mary. That's a very odd way of expressing the deity of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ was the God-man, we believe he's truly God. Uh, but, he, but the Son does not exhaust the Godhead. The fa- he's not the Father. He's not the Spirit, so on and so forth. So it's odd language. But then you have a quotation of Jesus for which there is no historical evidence that he ever said these words for 600 years. And I just simply point out, we have much better reason for believing what's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which comes from the first century, than something that comes written in another language, wasn't Aramaic, 700 miles away and six centuries later that has absolutely no pedigree in history whatsoever. And yet the Muslim must believe that these words are from God. That's what we were talking about earlier. And again, I think it raises the issue of even standards. But then please notice this, and this is going to be one of the questions I'm going to ask the imam during our conversation. Indeed, he who associates others with the law, this is the unforgivable sin of shirk, association, since the central affirmation of Islamic theology is tawhid, the oneness of Allah, then the negation of that central affirmation is the worst sin. It is unforgivable, according to the Quran. If you die as a, as a mushrik, uh, you cannot be forgiven. Uh, even, even Muhammad's uncle, Abu Talib, died as a mushrik, and even though Muhammad was allowed to, to intercede for him, all that did for him was got, got him the garden spot in hell, according to the Hadith. He's got the best spot there, which means he's standing in fire up to his ankles. It's hot enough to cause his brains to boil. That's the best spot in hell, uh, at least according to that particular story in the Hadith. So dying uh, in, uh, guilty of the sin of shirk as a mushrik is a, a direct sentence to the fire for eternity without any possibility of parole or forgiveness. And so in this context, it sounds, and I know some Muslims who don't take it this way, but I'm going to have to ask if this is the understanding today, he who associates others with Allah. For most Muslims, we are associating, we are guilty of shirk as Christians for worshiping Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Christians go, no, 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 no. We believe Jesus has eternally been God. He's not a creature that we're associating with God. He voluntarily took on human flesh so as to give his life voluntarily. Uh, it's, not, it's not association. But the question is, did the author of the Quran understand what we believed about the eternal sonship of Christ, so on and so forth? And I have never seen any evidence that he did. And so, indeed, he who associates others with Allah, Allah has forbidden him paradise, and his refuge is the fire, and there are not for the wrongdoers any helpers. They have certainly disbelieved. Disbelief, being a kafir, 
It's a statement of unbelief who say a law is the third of three. Who are the three? Who are the three? Well, we might go, well, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Never mentioned in the Quran. You will never find Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the angel Jibreel in most of Islamic theology. So you'll never find those three mentioned, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together in one text in the Quran. And notice, as soon as it says, Allah is the third of three, the next line is, and there is no God except one God. Every single time that the Quran says, do not say three, the next line is, there's only one God, Allah. So what's the Quran saying? That we're guilty of polytheism, that we believe in multiple gods. Now we all know, wait a minute, we're monotheists. Isaiah 40 through 10, before me there is no God for him, there should be none after me. I know that. But I have actually, I, I was debating in the Juma Masjid in Durban, South Africa, uh, only a matter of months ago, and my, my Muslim uh, opponent in the debate, Yusuf Ismail, I, I, I love Yusuf, uh, we, we get along great, but in the middle of the debate, he says, James, I know you say you're a monotheist, but I'm here to tell you, you are not a monotheist. And what's his evidence for that? The Quran. If it's your final authority, then that's the end of the discussion. And if it says the Christians are guilty of polytheism, then they are, whether their, their entire doctrine, doctrinal statement that existed hundreds of years before the Quran came along says otherwise or not. So who are the three? Who are the three? Well, let's see if we can figure that out by looking at Surah 5.116. This is the same Surah. But here is, and, and I'll ask, I'll ask uh, Imam Rasli, if, if, you, if you believe that I'm wrong about this, show us where the three are defined in the text of the Quran. The Quran claims to be mubinun. Mubinun in Arabic means clear, perspicuous, easy to understand. Well, then I think we should be able to find a clear, perspicuous, easy to understand definition of what it's saying. Do not say three, especially when it says, if you do, Hellfire is where you're going. Hellfire is where you're going. So notice what it says here. And beware the day when Allah will say, O Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to the people, take me and my mother as deities besides Allah? He will say, exalted are you. It was not for me to say that which I have no right. If I had said it, you would have known it. You know what is within myself. I do not know what is within yourself. Indeed, it is you who is knower of the unseen. Now, Here's the only place in all the Quran where I can find three defined. Jesus, Mary, and Allah. What is, what is one of the greatest sins, according to the Quran? Association of a son. Assertion that Allah has a son. And over and over again, the, the, the Quran says, if, if, if Allah wanted to have a son, he would have to have a companion, a wife, What's the understanding here? What's the understanding of a man who had seen the idolatry in Mecca, in the Kaaba, and rejected that and, and, and spoke against it as a monotheist? What's he saying? Who are the three? Allah, his wife Mary, and their son Jesus. Seems to be what he's saying. Did you say to the people, take me and my mother? Earlier, the argument had been, Jesus and Mary both used to eat food, demonstrating that the Christians are in error. Because God doesn't eat food. Well, why bring up Mary then? Well, weren't people exalting Mary? Well, yeah, there, sadly, there was some exaltation of Mary going on, not to a deity, but there was that type of thing going on. But if you had come from Mecca and you go into Syria and you look in a church and you see a statue of Mary holding a baby, might that not suggest something to you? 
But if that's the background of this, what does that tell you about the source of the Quran? It cannot be from God because even if the Trinity is wrong, didn't God know what it was in 632 AD? Could he not accurately refute it? Well, most certainly he could. And so as a Christian, I look at this, and the first thing I want to go is, well, when my New Testament deals with the Old Testament, it shows intimate familiarity with the Old Testament text. But when I come to the Quran, which is supposed to be the Muhammad, the, 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 the protector of these previous revelations, where's the citations of the Old and New Testament? There are none. There's only one time that, well, possibly two. We know that the lex talionis, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is quoted in the Quran. It's possible a verse in the Psalms is, but a lot of Islamic scholars say it's not. There's nothing from the New Testament ever quoted. Whoever wrote the Quran had no idea what was contained in the Christian scriptures, Old and New Testament. No idea. There's no interaction with what we believe. Never read the book of Hebrews, never heard the Carmen Christi from Philippians chapter 2, and yet says, if you associate, the fire is your abode. And so as a Christian, I have to look at this and I have to go, I see a huge disjunction between the intimate relationship of Old Testament and New Testament, and then what's supposed to come as the final revelation, the universal revelation, shows no knowledge. No intimate knowledge of what came before. And if the one God is the author of all, then obviously that causes a serious problem. But there is another reason in the last few minutes that I have. And that is the Quran goes directly against history itself. And what do I mean? Well, we, uh, we talked about this briefly and we knew we'd get to it. In Surah 4, we have a single ayah. A single 40-word verse that denies the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, if this wasn't here, Surah 355, 1933 would naturally refer to the death of Jesus. But because of this one very non-mubinun ayah, we don't see it that way. Here's what it says. And for their saying, speaking of the Jews, indeed, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, and they did not kill him. Now, I don't like this translation, because it's, it's, but it gives you the majority understanding. And they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but another was made to resemble him. That's, that's going way too far. Uh, the, the, the phrase here is shubi halaham. It means uh, it was made to appear to them. And indeed, those who differ over it are in doubt about it. They have no knowledge except of it, except the following of assumption. And they did not kill him for certain. So you have 40 Arabic words written six centuries after the event, 700 miles away, overthrowing what even the most radical skeptical scholars today admit is the most certain aspect of the life of Jesus. Bart Ehrman, John Dominic Crossan, radical skeptics. And what do they say is the most certain element of Jesus' life in all of history? is crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. And yet the Quran says, didn't happen. Now, the majority of Muslims believe that someone else was put on the cross in the place of Jesus. This translation even represents that. Most would say Judas. Some people have said Simon the Cyrene, whatever. A lot of American Muslims go, Allahu alam, God knows, because they recognize if, if the substitution theory is correct, then in essence, by mistake, Allah started Christianity, which has, invent, which has created all this shirk. So that really wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But be it as it may, that's the situation. Here you have the Quran setting itself up against all of religious history, all of secular history. 
I mean, there, there really isn't anything in the life of Jesus that is more clearly documented than his crucifixion. And yet, in 40 Arabic words, which even Muslims don't agree as to what they mean. For example, why does it say they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him? Why, why separate it like that? I mean, the Romans were really good at what they did. <laughs> um, they, the crucifixion, uh, we know of one person who underwent a partial crucifixion who survived. Friend of Josephus. He had actually three friends that had been crucified. When I say partial, the death blow had not been given. And Josephus went to the Roman governor. <coughs> he got his friends down. Two of the three died. Even though they hadn't received the death blow, one, one survived. So partial crucifixions, we only know of one that survived that. So why divide it up? There is a, a sect of Islam, the Ahmadi Muslims, that believe that Jesus was crucified, but he did not die. Um, and in fact, even uh, Dr. Shabir Ali, who I've debated a number of times, takes that same perspective quite interestingly on the subject. And what that proves is this text is not Mubinun. In fact, what's interesting is normally you can go to the Hadith, to those massive volumes of, of, of Hadith and to the early Tafsir literature to get interpretations of this text. You can't with this one. For at least 200 years after the time of Muhammad, no Muslim ever remembered anything Muhammad ever said about this. So now we go back and think about all those people that, bat that died at the Battle of Yamama, all of the Kura who died there. Might there have been another verse that would have shed some light on this that was lost at that time? These are the questions that are raised when you have a revision and when you have the methodology of the transmission of the text. And so as a Christian, I look at this and I go, all right, I'm addressed by the Quran. I have taken the time to listen to what the Quran says to me. It says, do not say three. And I go, do you understand what I'm saying when I say three? Do you understand what the Christians of Najran were saying when they said three? Are you, do you understand what the Council of Nicaea meant? What the Council of Constantinople meant? What the Chalcedonian definition meant? Do you understand what we mean when we say that Jesus is the Son of God? And I come to this text, and I'm, I'm telling you, to the, to the Muslims in the audience, to Imam Rusli, I try to come to the text, I try to lay aside preconceptions, I try to listen to it as honestly as I can and ask myself a simple question. Did the author of this text understand what Christianity truly believed? And the only answer I can come up with is no, he did not. And if this is a book from God, if that chain in Surah, Surah Al-Maidah, Surah 5, is true, Torah, Moses, Gospel, Jesus, Quran, Muhammad, if that chain is a valid chain, why is there this huge chasm between the Christian scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, and now the Quran to where the author of this knows this intimately, interacts with it, cites it, builds upon it, shows fulfillment, says Jesus is the final word from God, and then 600 years later in a different language, someone comes along and says, no, no, that's not true. There's more, but shows no evidence of any familiarity with what came before. How can that chain exist? These are the very serious questions that, friends, sadly, what you're about to listen to almost never happens in this world. It almost never happens in this way. Because I believe that he and I can have a conversation about this because he knows I care for him.
And that means we're going to be doing something really unusual in here, and I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful for your attention as we've discussed these things. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. James White. Just give us one moment to adjust our camera angles. Okay, and uh, Dr. Musri, if you'd like to begin this discussion, we can go from here. Well, first let me thank Dr. White for his strong, passionate presentation and uh, point out some points I disagree with. First, you know, he's, he stated that the author of the Quran and like the author of the New Testament, knew very well the Old Testament. But the author of the Quran did not. And given the fact that Muhammad was unlettered, did not study, and like he stated, he was several hundred miles away from Jerusalem, for him to bring very detailed stories from Adam, the creation, Abel and Cain, the reference, the scripture, and say, you know, it is therefore written after Cain killed Abel that it, it is written in the Hebrew scriptures that whoever kills a person, it is as if he call, killed all of human beings. And whoever saved a life, it is as if he saved the life of all human beings. The story of Moses and Pharaoh. You know, Moses is mentioned throughout the Quran, his story in details from the day he was born till the end of his mission and the interactions. I was once at, that's when I received this gift, the, the Torah, I was at Temple Israel and I read from the Quran what we have about the story of the children of Israel from chapter 2. And everyone in the audience thought I was reading from the Torah. I said, this is, I'm reading from my book. When you say that uh, the author did not know right. these facts, well, the stories of Noah, the story of Moses, Abraham, Joseph, King Solomon, mm -hmm. King David, John the Baptist, his father, Mary. We have actually a fuller, complete story of all of these events than does exist in the Bible. Two things. Uh, the familiarity that he has is oral. It's not with the text of mm -hmm. the actual. And the differences demonstrate that he's not going from a literary source. He's going from an oral source, especially, and here's the other, other I didn't even get into this, but another reason why I have a serious problem uh, with accepting the Quran as the word of God is because assuming you hold what I understand to be the orthodox Sunni perspective, that the Quran has eternally existed and it is, it is, was sent down on Laylat al-Qadr by Jabil to Muhammad. Is that, is that a correct understanding of your, of your <laughs> understanding? Okay. So there is no fingerprint of man upon it. It is completely divine, divine and hence what Muhammad understood or knew is irrelevant from that perspective because it's, it's directly God's word, right? Right. Okay. So here's my problem. Um, if that's the case, 
um, then uh, why is it that the Quran does not show any discernment in the sources that it utilizes? You just mentioned a couple of stories. Uh, for example, the only place where Jesus speaks from a, a physical location in the Quran is from his cradle, right? right? Every other time Jesus speaks, there's no location as to where he's speaking, when, anything like that. He's just a, sort of a disembodied voice. But the story of Jesus speaking of his cradle is from the Arabic infancy gospel written in the 5th century. The story of Jesus forming birds and breathing upon them and they become alive is from the infancy gospel of Thomas from about the 3rd century. And these are not, uh, these are not canonical. Some of them aren't even Christian. Um, they're Gnostic sources. And I've, I've always been surprised that my Muslim friends uh, will look at Gnostic sources in any favorable light because the fundamental assertion of Gnosticism is that the creator of this world is an evil god. And you and I agree on anything else, they are out to lunch at that point, right. and therefore the literature they produced should also be considered to be out to lunch. And yet that's where these stories came from. And so I am, I am fully aware that the author of the Quran, and the reason I say author of the Quran is I just don't want to get into all the fights about all the Orientalism that's talking about compilations and all the rest of that stuff. That way we can just stick to the subject. But the author of the Quran um, is well aware of the oral stories, but as you know, makes major changes in those stories. What is missing is the direct knowledge of, for example, the very central assertions of the New Testament regarding who Jesus is, the centrality of his cross, the concept of atonement, all these things are just simply not to be found anywhere in the text of the Quran. Okay. Now, if Muhammad was, like many of us, or all of us, knew how to read and write, and had the scripture, the Bible of his time in front of him, and he was reading it and making up the stories. He couldn't have. Okay? He couldn't have because the Bible hadn't been translated into Arabic yet. Exactly. So, when we look at well, the this, whole Bible, portions, but the whole Bible. Exactly. So the stories that we see in the Quran, the only explanation is, as he stated, and as God said in the Quran, these are, you weren't there, or Muhammad, you weren't there when, you know, the priest disputed about Mary, who's going to have custody of her when she was in the temple. You weren't there when you know, God called on Moses on Mount Sinai. But we're giving you what happened, okay? Now these stories, some of them have been lost. They were not in the canon. Unless you can affirmatively say every fact and every historic event must be in the canon that you have, in the Bible that you have, and every document outside this canon is proven false. To us, it's not proven false. There are segments of truth that you don't have in your canon, but it exists in other books, and that's why other Christian churches still want to have and include I other... I don't know of any Christian church that wants the infancy gospel of Thomas or the Arabic infancy gospel in their canon, but the point is, are you saying that when the Quran does draw from these other sources that are non-canonical and says to the Christians... It's not drawing from them. It's drawing from God. God is speaking... But God knows what actually happened, and the fact that some of these other sources have recorded some of these facts does not negate the fact that God, who knew what happened, actually inspired them. That's, that's your presupposition. Yes. You realize that when we look at it, we're not starting with that presupposition. 
And we have to start with the presupposition of this book is claiming to be from the same God that gave us these preceding scriptures. But so why would there be if, a lack of knowledge? If your gospel does not contradict the idea that Jesus spoke when he was infant, when he was just born, and that he, you claim he is capable of raising the dead, and the Quran says that too, mm. and you, but you want to reject that he was, at, when he was five years old or later, would shape from clay birds and breathe into them and they fly away. You don't have that story, we do. Does that story no. contradict with your, yeah. the ability of Jesus to do what he, yeah, we, what we, you claim as? The point is we do have the story. We know where it came from and we know it comes from unorthodox sources. And what you're saying is, well, if it ends up in the Quran, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it couldn't have been from any of those other sources. And the interesting thing is, a lot of the people you were quoting when you're talking about the New Testament and errors, they would never accept this kind of argumentation. There's a, there's, this is where I'm, I'm afraid we've got that, 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 uh, that yeah, different, different weights thing going on. And before you respond to that, so that you can look at it, mm -hmm. I wanted to do this. I always do this in a debate. I'm just going to take a second. But I, I want to give you a gift. Uh, this is a, uh, a, a Bible. It's the New American Standard, if you're wondering. Uh, it is it is the one I this if you could find me a Quran that looks this good I would be very very uh, pleased for that but uh, this is uh, the New American Standard Bible and the folks here heard my comments uh, during the preceding portion and here are both books I mentioned to you both by Dr Michael Kruger can revisited and the question of canon he's the president of RTS in Charlotte and I think you'll find them to be extremely useful so thank I hope you so you, much I hope you this is wonderful so I'm sorry I didn't mean to okay. So let me first um, complete that thought. If your supposition that the only source for what is in the Quran has to be uh, somewhere written by in some scriptures by somebody, okay? No, that's not my, that's not my presupposition. My presupposition is that... But you're saying, well, he brought this story from this source or that source. And we, in Islam, we don't say that he brought even the stories of Adam or Moses or Pharaoh from the Bible. He received them from God. I know. And the same source, God, who is eternal, who knows everything, past, present, and future, was there. He knows if Jesus spoke as an infant or not. Well, I, I understand that. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm saying and is... it still when... stands in the future... <laughs> If we find a gospel in Arabic, I mean in Aramaic, of people who wrote it in the time of Jesus, we might find something well, I, I think I, this. I, actually, I think with the New Testament, we, we come right up to that, that very time period uh, with, uh, with the gospels that we have. But let, let me ask you, um, did you have any comments about uh, what I mentioned in regards to uh, the transmission of the text and what is said by Sahih al-Bukhari and the Uthmanic revision. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying when I say I'm very concerned about a revision situation where you're, you're burning the preceding materials and that that's very different from how the New Testament was transmitted to us? Um, do, do you see where there's a difference there? I'm not concerned at all because I know that 
in the time of the Prophet himself, there were official writers, scribes, who the Prophet commissioned, commanded them to write only the Quran as he received it. That there were th literally thousands of people who memorized the Quran, some in its entirety, others portions of it, half of it, three quarters of it, and so on. And I'm very sure, 100% sure, that the first generation of Muslims were absolutely not reliant on written text because they received it directly from the Prophet and memorized it and heard it again and again and again and again from him. Could you explain so the concern? The, the idea to write it down was a secondary uh, attempt to make sure it is available to people who are in other parts of the world, not the people in Medina who knew the Quran by heart. Now, the individuals that you are suspecting they may have changed, you're saying maybe Uthman. Uthman was basically the, one of the closest to the Prophet. He was his son-in-law. He was beloved by the Prophet, trusted by the Prophet, and uh, it is... As was Abdullah ibn Masud. He was one of the closest to the Prophet. In fact, the Prophet said that if you want to learn the Quran, one of the three people he pointed to was Abdullah ibn Masud. And Masud clearly had all the early Tafsir literature records numerous Razam variants. What Abdullah ibn Masud had, he made his, in his book, Ali ibn Abi Talib had his, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud had his, and what Abdullah ibn Mas'ud used to write on the margins, okay, hadith that he heard from the Prophet, okay? And when they asked him to bring his, he said, you can't use mine because I have written hadith in the margins. I don't want you to mix it up with the text of the Quran, okay? He wanted his copy, that's his personal copy. Now, if he had doubt, if Ali ibn Abi Talib had doubt, if Ubay ibn Kaab had doubt, okay, you would have thousands of Muslims who would have had doubt. But these are the trusted writers that the Prophet himself appointed. They came together as a committee and put it together. But Abdullah ibn Masood wasn't a part of that committee. Ubay ibn Kaab wasn't a part of that committee. And the early tafsir literature records numerous variants in the actual consonantal text of you know, the Quran. You know, Ubay ibn Kaab was appointed by the second Khalifa, Omar, the father of Hafsa, to lead the Taraweeh prayers, to read the Quran from memory mm -hmm. by its entirety for the people to hear it. Ubay. So, Ubay Ka. Yeah. So if he said or read anything different than what everybody knew to be from the Quran, he would have been removed, corrected. But and and yet he happened. had a different number of surahs. Let me ask you, please, mm -hmm. why does Bukhari say that a large portion of the Qur'an would be lost if more of the Qur'an died as they did at Yomama? If what you're saying is true and you had these writers and it was already written down, why does Bukhari say that? That's a Sahih Hadith. Bukhari who came much later. 270 years. Right. 270 years is a lot of time. He is making the story about those days where he wasn't a witness, but he is quoting a chain of people going back to say that what was the concern of Omar, talking to Abu Bakr, mm -hmm. about 
why we should compile it. He said, because, yes, we have thousands of people who memorized it, but we have lost several hundred who memorized it in a battle. So by the end of this generation, who guarantees that we will have people that know exactly every verse of the Quran? So by knowing that the Prophet had passed away, and now it is time, there is nothing to be added in, to be taken out, it is the best time to fix it in writing and so that there's no doubt about what it is. I, I'd really like to pursue that some more, but we have some other things sure. to get to, and unfortunately the timer you is running, so I don't know what You mentioned the Sana'a manuscript is. that was discovered in 1972. Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody can look it up online. The Sana'a manuscript, if anything, yes. it confirms the accuracy of the Qur'an that we have in our hand today because of the carbon dating to that very era, okay? And you used it to create doubt that there must be something different. The fact there is nothing different. I looked at the Sana'a manuscript, yeah. okay? The writing on the, that was erased and written over, mm -hmm. the, but, but that was written during the first 20 years also, okay? And what's written under it does not differ hardly any from what's above it. Oh, but it does. You, it doesn't. I, it's online. You can look it yeah, up. Yeah. I, I, in fact, if, if, if you'd like, I could, I could probably show you one of the Sa'ana palimpsests. I have it on here. I don't know if we want to go there right now, but there are actually we, we can. A rather now, major variants there. You quoted Al-Kindi. Al-Kindi, of course, was not a Muslim. That's right. I, I said that. And, and he can say whatever he wants. As you're saying, uh, his testimony does not hold. Well, uh, well, no, 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 wait. <laughs> Just because he's not a Muslim doesn't mean that his testimony doesn't hold. My, my point is that uh, he had access see, to See, I did tradition. not, when we were discussing the Bible, I did not come from a Muslim scholar judging the Bible, okay? I quoted only Bible scholars who you do not doubt that they are Christian and they beloved and they are scholars. They are the ones who said there are problems with the Bible. But if... If a Christian today or two, three hundred years after the Prophet spoke, that does not uh, stand as testimony. Okay. Um, would do you want to? Do you want me to project this, or, or uh, should we move on to something else? Yeah, because we can. We can come to it. I have no problem coming to it. Okay. Let me just. Let me. But I wanted to address a couple more issues that you raised. I'll, I'll keep listening while I plug it in real quick. Okay. How's that sound? Sorry, cameraman, but. This is a live debate, discussion, whatever you want to call it. Go ahead. I'm, I'm listening, and I will. I, this will only take me a second. You mentioned that uh, when God spoke in the Quran about Jesus, is Jesus God or Son of God, or there are three. Now, Surah five one sixteen. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, and unless we can say. Nobody else is Christian but you and, and the denomination that agrees with your understanding. Uh, we can say, I would agree with you that the author of the Quran did not understand your perspective of it. But the Quran is not addressing Reformed Baptists alone. They are addressing Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, addressing Christians that existed then. All the spectrum of beliefs within Christianity 
Okay? There are options where some Christians believe Jesus was just a prophet. Some believed he was divine. Some believed he was son of God. Some believed he was God. Some believed he no, was in no, Trinity. No, no. I, I have to challenge you on that. First of all, the groups you mentioned, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, anybody else, they're all agreed on the doctrine of the Trinity. We all, we all believe the same thing. So you, you, can't, you can't do that. Secondly, I would say to you, if a person does not believe that Muhammad you was met? a prophet, is uh -huh. he a Muslim? Again? If a person does not believe that Muhammad is a prophet, is he a Muslim? No. Okay. If, I say if if he is if he lived if post, he's a Muslim post Muhammad post Muhammad so right, if right. he was in the today. time of Jesus or Moses yes he is but today mm -hmm. if a person says Muhammad was not a prophet right. and they call themselves a Muslim no okay Christian perspective all right defined long long ago if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God you're not a Christian it's just it's just not it's just not it's not, it's not a negotiable thing. True. So I think we have the right to self-definition. Self that's what I'm saying is the Unitarians who gave you the nice book but let are me not ask Christians. You, let me ask you this. <laughs> as nice as they may be, uh, I, you know. I fully agree with you. Are Ahmadi Muslims? Was, was, yes, they are. They are Muslims. Okay, all right. Yeah. Because they believe Muhammad is a prophet even though they have a prophet afterwards. Yeah. Okay, good. The question I have, was Jesus Christian? Was Jesus Christian? Mm. Were his disciples Christian? As followers, did they well, call the themselves that? Well, they were called that, but did they, they were, worship on Sunday? Uh, yes, that's called the Kuri Kehimera, the day of the Lord, uh, Lord's Day in Revelation chapter 1, yeah. But did they worship, worship let's, on let's Sunday put this way, let's, let's put this way, the earliest followers of Jesus worshipped him as Kurios. They worshipped him as Lord and called him God. I'm asking a question. Did Jesus worship on Saturday or Sunday? Oh, he, he, he was a good Jewish man. Good Jewish man. But he resurrected from the dead, having died upon the cross mm -hmm. uh, on Sunday morning. I mean, re really quickly here, here's, if, if you want to look at this, this is just one of the examples uh, from the from Fogg's Palimpsest manuscript, which is found in Sa'ana as well, these are the differences in the Arabic between the two lines. Notice that's not only differences in grammatical terminations, but also differences in where the word is in the line. Those aren't copyist errors; that's purposeful editing errors, and that's the difference between the the the, the script on the top and the script on the bottom. And remember, the radiometric dating only goes with on the bottom. We can't tell necessarily what was written on the top. So I, I, I just wanted to point that out. Okay, keep, that it, okay? keep okay. it for a second. There are many Muslims here with ability to read Arabic and they can read both and see it's saying the exact same thing. But, but here's the point. Let's say it's saying the same, same thing. It has been edited. Mm -hmm. Not only, it, this is not, see, in, in the New Testament, what we have are scribal errors where um, due to seeing similar endings at the end of a word, or, or seeing similar endings at the end of a word, you skip a phrase or something like that. That's not. It's not. It's, it it where, is purposeful this, editing. No, it's not editing. This is someone copying from memory his own personal copy. Okay. How do you know that? How do I know that? I have seen this problem before where in the present time, there were slaves that were brought from Africa to America several hundred years ago who had memorized the Quran. They didn't have a hard copy in their hands, okay? 
and they, in prison, they wrote it out in Arabic, and a researcher at UCF presented to me, and I could read it, and I could pick these common mistakes that a person, without seeing the text for a long time, without reviewing the text, mm -hmm. may make, which is switching the words, but the meaning is exactly the same. So, but the point is, when you said that you have no differences in those early manuscripts, the fact of the matter is there, there are differences, and in fact... Is this an authorized manuscript? It is somebody's personal manuscript. He copied from, from his memory. And we, we, none of us can know what the, what, what, what a, where a manuscript came from. This is one of those pages... But you, you said we, we do the scales. <laughs> right. if, if I bring the Thomas Gospel or other Gospels that you are not accepting and say, well, but this is a Gospel, somebody wrote it. And you say, well, I don't accept because it's not part of a, a canon that has been approved. It didn't come from the times of Jesus. It was written 100 years after Thomas was dead. Therefore, it's obviously a fraud. But that's different than a text mm -hmm. that is of the Quran itself that you say is clearly attempting to communicate the message of the Quran, but they just made a mistake. This is one of the pages with, from the top copy manuscript published in 2007, just one of a number of pages of variants in the various mushaf uh, from the Quran. That the, and these are Muslim scholars that have provided these pages. And so I'm just simply saying and, there, and look at them. there is a history of, uh, of Islamic I mean, I, scholars recognizing. I'm looking at it. Yes. My, my native tongue is Arabic. Okay. And I'm seeing the same word being repeated. But you can see all the way down the column, there, uh -huh. are, there, are, different, there are different forms, are there not? You have to compare across, not this way. Okay, so there, there's a difference right there and that one right there. I can see it from here, right? Third column is different than there's no con conjunctive wow. There are differences in each one. That, why would they put it there if there are no differences? What they... What you're talking about... And, in fact, let, let me just read what it says. Table showing the differences between the Mus'haf of Caliph Uthman and the Mus'haf of Topkapi and Tashkent. So I didn't write that. Those are Muslim scholars saying that. Yes. Okay, so I'm just simply saying that we don't have, and we need to have, a critical edition. We do. You see it? You proved it. You said we don't have it, but they, we already have this is, it. This is, this is... And this is going... Five pages of those, that's not a critical edition. That's all what they have. No, it's, the Corpus Chronicum project already has more than that. Look, they brought the two oldest that they have. They compared them, okay? These were written ages apart, thousands of miles apart, and came out with almost identical copies. Which hopefully will go back to Uthman because of the revision. But let, let's let, let's let's let make sure we cover. Let me ask you another question. Okay, as long as we can get to the cross before we get done, can we can we leave enough time for that? Sure. Now, because I think we, Mike said we have about ten. So you said Mary is not a deity. Exactly. Okay. Well, can I pick up uh, the internet? Can you pick up the internet? I'm not sure how heavy it is. <laughs> and uh, this Little. is something that... 
I don't know if you, if you know. So, Yes, I said, I said Mary gonna... is not a deity in the Bible. Uh, I said that there was a, already a level of Marian devotion in North Africa at that time that has been sadly greatly uh, exceeded by Rome's later uh, dogmatic statements. But even to this day, even with the push to have Mary defined as a, a co-mediatrix and co-adjectrix with Christ, uh, there is still uh, a, a strong assertion that Mary is not a deity. So uh, that, that I think is very, very direct. And the, my reason for raising 5116 is because I would like to ask you, while you're thinking about that, is there any place else in the Quran where you can define the three? Say not three. Who are the three? If it's not Allah, Mary, and Jesus, who are the three according to the Quran? So here, do we have connection? Oh. Sorry. It shouldn't be. There you go. You may not believe this, but there are over a billion people who do, and they happen to be with the older tradition, where... The Bible is the oldest tradition. Okay. Let me assure you. But see, the Qur'an is not just addressing what you may have in a book. The Qur'an is addressing what the people believe and think. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's not concerned... You can have a book, and nobody has it, you know, until uh, the printing press how many people did have copies of the entire Bible? It wasn't a public thing, right? So he had to address what people heard and saw and did. And here, we see that Mary is considered the mother of God. Yes, there's, okay? a, there's, a, there's a background to what theatakos means. So Mary has been venerated since early Christianity and is considered by millions to be the most meritorious uh, saint of the religion. Christians from Orthodox, Eastern, and Oriental, Roman Catholic, Anglican, and Lutheran churches believe that Mary, as mother of Jesus, is the mother of God. What does that mean? That Jesus, when he was born, was truly God. Not that Mary gave birth to God and brought God into origination. But the entire Dr. White, argument... Who are kneeling to Mary, worshiping Mary, and saying, "O Mother of God." Today, that is the case. Has but been in, the case for centuries. But when, when since before Muhammad. So you're admitting that Psalm one, that, that I'm sorry, that Surah five one sixteen is identifying the three as Allah, Jesus, and Mary, right? It is because that's a practice being done by. So there is Orthodox no Orthodox Eastern and Oriental, by Roman Catholic, by Anglicans and Lutherans. So that. <laughs> More than a billion people. The Lutherans people in, in the, the audience just fainted, but. Um, but, but I, I didn't but, try this. Well, I, well, yeah, it's Wikipedia. You've got to be a little careful on theology there, okay? Wikipedia is not overly reliable, but, 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 but my point is this. So, what you're saying, if, if, if you're now admitting that, that, that Surah 5 116 is addressing people who are worshiping Mary, there is no refutation of the historic doctrine of the Trinity in the Quran. So, it must not be shirk. It's okay then. Well, let me answer this in two things. First, you asked if the author of the Qur'an really knows what you believe. Yes. 
I'm not going to be the judge to judge you. It is God who judges you. So I cannot accuse you of shirk, okay? I cannot say, James, because you are believing this Trinitarian monotheism, that you are committing shirk, okay? okay? It's not my job. I'm not the judge. I'm not God. It is up to God who knows what you mean by it, what you understand it, to judge you. You answer to him, not to me. So the issue of shirk, I cannot go out and say, and in the Quran we are told not to go to the people of the book and say, these are mushrikeen, because these people are people of the book, okay? It is, they are titled in the Quran, people of the book, mm-hmm. right? And there is a big difference between the word shirk and the word kufr. The word kufr does not mean disbelief. The word kufr means to cover something, okay? Kafar in Hebrew, yes. Okay? So we have little hidden towns and villages that we say, this is kafr so-and-so, kafr so-and-so, meaning the, it, it appears to you all of a sudden because it's hidden hamlet behind a mountain or a hill. So if I do this, I'm doing the act of kufr, covering this by this, okay? And there are evidence that some of the people of the book, Jews and Christians, they cover some truth or facts they know for political reasons, for whatever reasons, okay? So the issue here is that we cannot say as Muslims that Christians and Jews are mushrikeen. God is the one who defines and decides if you are or not, okay? We know that Jews are not. We know the Christians, if you say and you believe that, you know, the Trinity is three persons, like you have on the cover here, three distinct persons, then by any definition of uh, an English speaking or any human being, uh, three persons means three, means... But it also says one being that is God, and you and I differentiate between being and person every single day. So we say there is one God, Yahweh, the New Testament uses that name of, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the Spirit of Yahweh. We differentiate between being and person. That's something you do every day. When you, run a, when you hit a rock with your car driving home, you don't care whether you hit the rock because it's not personal, but it does have being, especially if it pops up and breaks your windshield. Mm-hmm. But, you, but my wife hit a cat recently on the way home, and she was crying by the time she got there because, well, she ascribes personality to cats, I guess. The point is we differentiate between these things. And so what's on the cover is demonstrating three that are unified in one. But it's interesting to me that you're Unified saying... Unified in person, in purpose, I no, agree. No, 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 not in, not in purpose, but, in being, one but God. But they are, when you are talking about Jesus here, where he is speaking, praying to God. The Father. He's praying to, the Father. worshiping the Father. That's right. Why? Because if, he because is, if God if became man, he wouldn't being. become an atheist, that's why. If God becomes man, he's going to be a perfect worshiping man, and he's going to continue that perfect I mean, relationship he's had with the Father himself? from all of eternity. No, he's not. He's worshiping the Father. Not, he's, not, he's not worshiping himself. So you were Could talking we about two, two separate people? Persons that are united separate in one being. Got to get to one. We only have just a moment left. But that's to me, is very critical, because I looked at the forgotten trinity, and I say, it's not forgotten. It just doesn't make sense to most people. So most people are not able to you know, 
Except I'm able to I'm able to explain it to to sixth graders. So I'm I'm sorry. That's uh, it's just it's just a matter of being able being being willing to listen. But could we just do one last thing? In, in we have uh, about if we could wrap up in the next four minutes, that would be wonderful. Surah four one It places the Quran against basically all of history. No, against your scripture, against the New Testament, or phrases within the New Testament. But when you say against history, the Jews, show me a Jew who believes in what you're claiming. That Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate? I, I can't imagine a single Jewish historian that denies it. All we're talking about here is the crucifixion. Surah mm -hmm. 7 says Jesus was not crucified by the Jews. He did not die at their hands. It's right. a denial of the crucifixion. Right. Bart Ehrman says it happened. John Dominic Crossan, they're, they're wildly liberal uh, critics of all of religion. They recognize that it's, it's a historical reality. Secular historians, Christians, Buddhists, everybody except Muslims. So we, we believe somebody was crucified, but not Jesus. That's the point. That's the point. Okay, it makes so, a big difference. So somebody was crucified, because but not Jesus. Because Jesus appeared afterwards alive. He wasn't crucified. Yeah, it's called the resurrection. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the resurrection. <laughs> So yeah. So if but but but, but, but let but me put yourself in my put, put yourself in my shoes. How about you go about you go to the natural scientists and say you know this man died and he rose three days later and we're they will talking, love you. Oh, I'm sure they will. But we're talking about history here, and the point, the fact of the matter is this: What if someone came along in 1200 A.D. Mm -hmm. and says, "I'm a prophet, and he's in France." Mm -hmm. I'm a prophet sent by God, mm -hmm. and I am here to tell you that the Mirage in Isra never took place. Mm -hmm. The Mirage in Isra is uh, Muhammad's night, night journey to Jerusalem and ascension to heaven and, and so on and so forth, where he gets the prayer and so on and so forth. And I'm a prophet, so believe me. I've never read the Quran, don't have any access to the Quran, but I know it didn't happen, but I'm a prophet from God. You probably would not take that guy over seri overly seriously. And well, now you're in the exact same position well, that we are. You have someone comes along 600 years later, but no access to the original sources, and says it but, didn't happen. 40 Arabic words. But the Isra and Miraj is not central to our faith. If you, you say Muhammad wasn't a prophet, if you say Jesus wasn't a prophet, or Moses wasn't a prophet, or Abraham, I would say he is not a prophet, this man who's claiming that. But if someone is talking just about the Isra and Miraj, which is... <laughs> He is, to his understanding, denying this night journey. That's not shaking or changing anything. Okay, then, then, he, then, then he says Muhammad was not a prophet. The point is, mm -hmm. upon what basis are we supposed to accept this? I mean, it's 40 Arabic words. They're not even Mubinun. I mean, you know how many differences of opinion there are about what should be halakha means, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not even clear. We don't they're, have historical... They, they're super clear. They... they were so concise that addressed this issue, this claim, and that Jews, even until today, there are Jews in Israel, extremists, who say, yes, we killed Jesus. Okay? They go around and fight Christian Arabs and say, yes, we killed Jesus. Now, like I told you, the Quran is answering what is known practice in popular culture, not what is written in your book that only a few people had access to it for hundreds of years. So the common people were claiming, the Jews in the time of Muhammad were claiming they killed Jesus.
And the answer to them was, no, you did not. He was not there. You did not kill him in any other fashion, nor crucified him. So all, all the Gospels, everything from the first century, every secular and religious source says the same thing, but we're simply to believe that 600 years later, that was all wrong based on 40 Arabic words. I just want to make sure we all understand that. It's not based on 40 Arabic words. It's based on 6,236 verses in the Quran. <laughs> Over okay. 130,000 words. Okay. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you so much for this lively exchange and for allowing us to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a five-minute restroom break here, and uh, we will return in five minutes to begin uh, some of the audience questions that we have uh, gone through, and we'll make sure that we get a chance to, to do that. We are going to finish with two closing statements and then our questions. So the first closing statement would be from Imam Muhammad Masri. Thank you again for this lively discussion and conversation. And uh, in closing, I want to say, you know, as people of the book, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, we have so much in common. We have the belief in the same God, same line of prophets, same commandments. And yes, we are debating the details, but the overall questions are really common to all of us. We worship the same God. So at the end of uh, multiple days of debate between the prophet and the delegation of Najran that came to him, uh, this verse was revealed, and that's in Surah 3. It said, O people of the scripture, meaning Jews and Christians, come to a word that is equitable between us and you, that none of us will worship anyone except Allah, God and not associate anything with him, and not take one another as lords instead of Allah. But if they turn away, then say, bear witness that we are Muslims, we submit to him. So if what Dr. White said, that he is a monotheist, and I'm a monotheist, and we're worshiping the same God, we're on the same page. Now, what historically happened is, there is a consistent message throughout history from the time of Adam to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way to the time of Jesus that spoke of Unitarian monotheism. I always thought monotheism meant monotheism, one God, until I learned that you have to emphasize it further by adding another adjective before to say Unitarian monotheism versus Trinitarian monotheism. Jews at the time of Jesus and today, they still believe in Unitarian monotheism. Most of the people in the Middle East who were Christians believed in Unitarian monotheism and converted to Islam very early on. Where Trinitarian monotheism comes from is from the writings of Paul, and it is widespread in Europe and that's where the difference is. God in the Old Testament was very clear. Like I said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? 
This is in Genesis. The mighty one, God, the Lord. The mighty one, God, the Lord. Okay? So, have we not all of one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with each other? And that's my question today. Jews, Christians, and Muslims in the world today constitute about half of the world population. They should be working together because they share so much. God in the New Testament, in Romans, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There is a differentiation here between God and between the man, Jesus, which agrees fully with our uh, argument. Is Jesus the son of God or son of man? In the, in the Bible it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. In Matthew, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I think he's trying to emphasize to all of us that he is Son of Man, not Son of God. Jesus tells us about God when he says, the Lord our God, this is called the Shema, the Lord our God is one Lord, you know, and the people who were around him, who listened to him, understood that much. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said that the truth, for there is one God and there is no, there is none other but he. He should have said, if Jesus, if he perceived Jesus to be God, he should have said, there is no God but you. And that's not what we hear here. Jesus is clearly is a prophet. Jesus said to them only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could do, he could not do any miracles there. Do you realize that he could not do any miracles? God can do miracles anytime, anywhere. Jesus was mentioned as a prophet by the crowds around him who followed him, who beloved him, and who understood him most. We can understand him 2,000 years later differently, but we ask the people around him, who is this? The crowds answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Thank you. Thank you, Imam Muhammad Masri. Now, Dr. White with his closing statements. You can have a timer running? Oh, okay. Oh, I can't see it though. <laughs> all right, well, first of all, thank you very much for being here this afternoon. It's, um, it is absolutely refreshing that we have had the opportunity of honestly engaging our differences, and I want to commend you for sticking through that. I want to thank very much Imam Musri for being here today. Obviously, he's been in the minority. And so I think he, uh, as far as the number of people participating here, and so I, I very much thank him for coming. And I hope that you have heard two people who believe very different things engage in a discussion about those issues. It's interesting 
that in closing, uh, my friend, and I, and I hope that, that we, we can say we've made friends today, um, uh, that, that my friend focused upon some of the things that Jesus said in regards to a call for unity. And I want to, I want to go ahead and follow that theme if I could, because we believe everything that was just quoted from the New Testament. It's just that we don't believe only that. And if we quoted only portions of the descriptions of Muhammad in the Quran and disregarded others, then we would not be accurately portraying what the Quran says about Muhammad. In the same way, when we look at the New Testament, Jesus describes the prophet. He is truly the God-man. He is the reason he can act as the mediator, as Paul said, is that he is the man, Christ Jesus. He truly became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the wonder of the Christian proclamation. And if the cost of unity is for us to deny what God did in history in Bethlehem and then upon the cross of Calvary, Christianity ceases to exist and Christianity ceases to be Christianity. This will always be the issue. And I'm hoping that since uh, Imam Musli got my book, The Forgotten Trinity, he's going to read the whole thing and find out, oh, that's what they believe. That, then that'll help a lot with the next time that we get together and have a dialogue about this. And I hope that someday we can uh, be able to do that. But for you, folks, I hope that if you're here this day, let me say to the Christians, I hope you pray for the Muslim people. There is great violence in our world today. And I hope you realize that the vast majority of that violence is being perpetrated upon Muslims. They are dying. Yesterday, attacks in Yemen. How many did it end up being? 120 was the last number I saw. I was traveling, so I'm not sure. Uh, 140. Those were Muslims who died. We need to pray as believers. And we need to pray that God would give us soft hearts, willing hearts, and a knowledge of what we believe so we might communicate. And if you're a Muslim here today, I hope that you have heard in me not someone who's trying to win a debate, not someone who's just trying to make debate points. I raise these issues because they are the very essence of what separates us. And if we are going to communicate with one another, we need to know and understand what each other believes. And I believe the Christian message that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God and that his life was not taken from him involuntarily. He gave his life voluntarily upon the cross of Calvary and that it is by faith and repentance toward him that we have eternal life and that he was not just the Jewish Messiah. Instead, he sent his believers out into all the world to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and that by repentance and faith in him, we can have the forgiveness of our sins. Now, you all know of a certain hadith. I think it's a mutawatir hadith. I, I think it is. I could be wrong that this one is, but it's a very properly well-known hadith about a Jewish man that had killed 99 people. And he went to a priest and asked, uh, will God accept my repentance? And the priest said no, so he killed the priest. Now he's killed 100 people. So he goes to a scholar, and I don't know if the scholar knew about the priest or not, but he asks the scholar, and the scholar says, go to such and such a village, and those people there will tell you what you must do to have your repentance accepted by God. And so as he's going, the time of his death came. And so he falls down the middle of the road, and an angel from the fire and an angel from paradise come, and they argue over his soul. 
you'd think it'd be a slam dunk for the angel from the fire, but actually the angel in paradise says, well, he was going to find out about repentance. And so a law decrees that if he's one cubit closer to the city he was going to than the city he was coming from, that he will go to paradise. And then, in some of the stories, he causes the earth to shrink between that man and that city so that he's one cubit closer, and the man who killed 100 people goes to paradise. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because from the Christian perspective, that is not a demonstration of grace. That's not a demonstration of what we believe forgiveness is. Because you see, the holy law of God was left completely unfulfilled. Those hundred people, no justice done. We believe that there is an intimate union and relationship between the holiness of God and his law. His law must be fulfilled. And so how has he done that? In himself. In the divine second person of the Trinity. Voluntarily entering into his own creation voluntarily giving his perfect life because he's the God-man. He's the only one who could do this. The cross was the only place where this could be. And that's why from the biblical perspective, everything before the cross looks forward to it. Everything afterwards looks back to it. It's the, center it's the centerpiece of history itself. And that is the difference that we must understand when it comes to what makes a difference in our lives is that we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And I hope today you've heard about him. You at least consider the claims of the people of the book. Thank you for being here today. Thank all of you. I thank all of you for being here today. For Mike and everyone who's made this possible, who's put this together. Kyle, everybody, thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you, Dr. James White. Okay, we have a few questions here, and what I'd like to do is to start off with a joint question. And it would be one to the other, and I believe that that's the iPad there, if someone could just touch that. You're right on time, Dr. White. <laughs> Firstly, to uh, Imam Musri, what scientific discoveries contradict the Bible? I did not state there were, I was talking about the Quran, that statements in the Quran have been tested against the latest scientific discoveries and proven to be true. So if the author of the Quran is not God, how did 1400 years ago or over 1400 years ago people knew something that only scientists found out now with, <laughs> with powerful telescopes or with technology that didn't exist 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Dr. But I didn't comment about the Bible. Do you want commentary from both? both yes. Both okay. Well, I'll, I'll be very, very brief. I've, I've read a number of the articles and books that, that promote uh, specific miracles in the Quran, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm concerned about the exegetical method they're using on the Quran. I've seen people doing this to the Bible, and I, um, I'm just concerned that we interpret both texts in their original languages and in their original context. It, it concerns me that we're going a little bit beyond that. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the number 19 stuff in the Quran being used as evidence of its inspiration, but we've had Bible code stuff too. Um, and I, I just don't think that's where uh, the, the strongest basis for making any kind of argument is. For Dr. White, 
If one cannot come between denominations to determine which Bible is the true one, how can one come between any two people and say they should accept the Quran and reject the Bible? You sure that was meant for me? It says Dr. White. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really not sure what the, what the I, I guess the, the assumption of the, of the questioning is, uh, well, there's a Tukokwe fallacy being used here, and it, it goes both directions. Um, obviously, I believe that a very strong case can be made um, that the canon of Scripture, which I would present to you, is historically uh, valid. Uh, I, I really don't think that a, a small minority uh, group in a faraway land is, is overly relevant any more than the very many small Islamic groups that have variations in their beliefs actually means that we can't look at what the Sunnis believe or the Shiites believe and, and, and take that seriously. So I have, um, I have debated the issue of the apocryphal books and the canon a number of times. And like I said, I, I, my hope is that maybe looking at uh, what Dr. Kruger, Kruger has to say, that maybe uh, some of those issues will be, will be dealt with. Imam Masri? I kind of skipped the question. <laughs> sure. Uh, if one cannot come between denominations to determine which Bible is the true one, how can one come between any two people and say they should accept the Quran and reject the Bible? I don't really get the question. Okay, I, I believe if what the, the question it. is trying to ask is, mm -hmm. is that if there are differing beliefs within the community of Islam, is that how can then they come to an understanding of how even the hermeneutic to approach the Quran is correct? Well, the differences between the, the sects within Islam have been historically political, deeply political. And no sect has come up and said, well, this Quran we don't accept, we, we have additional material that should be in the Quran, but rather the interpretation of verses of the Quran in their own way uh, such between, say, two different Baptist groups looking at the same text, they agree on the text, but they interpret it slightly differently. Baptists That's never disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> no. No, you're right. <laughs> no, you're right on that one. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Dr. White, could you please explain what is the Holy Spirit? I am a Muslim and do not understand the clarity on the Trinity. Okay, uh, I think it is important to note that at least in the majority of Sunni Islam, Holy, Go Holy Spirit is normally understood to refer to... Gabriel. Yeah, the angel Jabril. Um, in historic Christian theology, uh, the Holy Spirit is the, is the third member of the Trinity. Uh, the, Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, and again, we have some disagreement here, but... Uh, this one, this one, I think, is a slam dunk. Uh, Jesus spoke much of the Holy Spirit in John chapters 14 and 16, where he described the Holy Spirit as personal, as the one who would come to take His place, dwelling in His disciples to guide them into all truth, uh, to to prepare them for ministry. The Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples uh, at Pentecost, and uh, basically, what you have is the the Father 
who in eternity decrees salvation. You have the Son who comes in time and accomplishes salvation, and now the Spirit has come to apply salvation to God's people. So even the gospel is, is Trinitarian. And so, uh, as I said, uh, the one, one name, Yahweh, is used of the being of God. And so the Father is identified as Yahweh, the Son is identified as Yahweh, the Spirit is the Spirit of Yahweh. Uh, really, if, if, you, if you want to understand why we're Trinitarians, you just have to believe everything the Bible has to say, and you will be forced to be a Trinitarian. Well, must we? Well, in the Bible, we read in Luke that the angel Gabriel came to Mary, spoke to her. His title is the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is clear in the Quran. When he came, God named him the Holy Spirit, that he came with the revelation. And this is a title similar to Jesus have, having the title of Messiah. So the name is Jibreel, the angel. He's the archangel, and his title is the Holy Spirit. But he's not God. He's a creation of God. And he is the chosen angel to bring the revelation to all of the prophets since the beginning. And that's why he was the one who came to Jesus, to Moses, to Mary, to Muhammad. And we accept him as Holy Spirit, but we don't worship him. We accept him as uh, an angel, servant of God, worshiping God, and, but not God. Dr. White, how did Jesus directly affirm and specifically cite the content of the teaching of previous prophets? Are theonomy, oh, wow. Are there inconsistencies? Don't want to get into theonomy. <laughs> Are there inconsistencies with previous prophets? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not following the... Are there inconsistencies with previous prophets? No. How did he cite the previous prophets? I, I'm not following it. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, reading directly there. How did Jesus directly affirm and specifically cite the content well, of the teaching of previous prophets. I mean, there isn't any question uh, in, in the, the context of Jesus' teachings what the content of the Old Testament was. Let's just put it that way. If you want to see a great book on that, the Old Testament can, New Testament church, Roger Beckwith, uh, not easy reading, but it's very deep. Um, and so when Jesus gives his view of the scriptures, the scriptures cannot be broken. In Matthew chapter 22, when he says to the Sadducees, have you not read what God spoke to you saying? Read what God spoke to you saying, then he quotes in the Pentateuch. So he's holding men accountable for what Jesus, or, or what God had said in the scriptures a thousand years earlier, as if God had spoken it directly to them. The point is, Jesus has an extremely high view of scripture, and since that's what contains the teachings of the prophets, I guess that would be the only uh, way I can understand uh, what the question is asking. And no, he didn't contradict the teaching of the prophets. Uh, that certainly would have been raised to him immediately had he, uh, had he done so. But I'm not really certain exactly that that's the drift. So. Okay. I have a joint question that we do need to conclude here. It is 5 p.m. So we'll start with Dr. Musri, and then we'll end with Dr. White. Do you both feel if we, moderate Muslims and Christians, unite, terrorism can be defeated? Absolutely. I think uh, terrorism is born from political conflicts that have been raging on for millennia, 
the victim of this is religious people. Uh, in the name of religion, crusades were waged. Tens of thousands of people were killed. Uh, all the way to the Holocaust. It was tragic that religion being misused against other people. And I think uh, what I dream of saying that the Jews, Christians, and Muslims of today would come together and see these commonalities we have, and even with the other people of the world, the Hindus, the Buddhists, uh, we should be able to disagree with the others respectfully, but at least we should agree among each other. If I was a Hindu or Buddhist or atheist, I would laugh at Jews, Christians, and Muslims and say, you all claim to believe in God and you constantly fight each other. You know, the uh, Irish Catholics and Protestants, they massacred one another for a long time and both claim to be Christian and God on their side. Today, Shiites and Sunnis are massacring each other, both claiming God on their side. And I believe that the scholars and the wise people of all these three faiths should come together, have a covenant to work together to have a, a peaceful world and agree to disagree. I'm not saying that, you know, anybody should compromise their faith, but in Islam, we are ordered to respect the faith of the Jews and the Christians the way they believe it, okay? Uh, and that's different from saying we agree 100% with everything they believe in. But is it time for Jews and Christians to acknowledge maybe, maybe that Muslims have a revelation, maybe they have a prophet, maybe Islam is a religion that is from God. You know, after over 14 centuries and all these contributions, I think uh, the argument is still there. Dr. White? Well, that raises all sorts of issues, but I'll try to stick with the specific uh, question. I have said many, many times my greatest concern, and I'll, I'll share this with you now because we hadn't had a chance to talk beforehand, but my greatest concern is that when I read um, the theologians uh, who are supporting the activities of ISIS or Boko Haram or whoever else. Um, what we, I was, in fact, I was, you'll testify, I was saying to you right before we got started, um, just this section, what we need is clear, forceful, cogent argumentation from Islamic scholars and imams demonstrating that what these groups are doing is un-Islamic. Here's my concern. I think I mentioned to your friend, actually, I forget who it was I told about seeing a Nigerian imam just almost giggling on YouTube when he found a hadith that he interpreted as allowing them to uh, basically kill women and children in jihad. And I immediately recognized, having read Bukhari, that the two preceding hadith were narrations of Umar saying just the opposite, and yet he was just taking the one out. Point being that the sources from which this material is being drawn is so wide and so varied that they have their scholars who emphasize their hadith, and so often it's just opinion versus opinion. That has got to change. There's got to be something done. I can't tell you what it's going to be because this is an internal thing. 
But there has got to, they've got the charismatic teachers right now. I've seen some of the guys who've tried to give a counter argument. I almost fell asleep listening to them. That's a problem. That's not going to get you anywhere. There needs to be, and I, and I just don't know that the sources are going to be consistent enough to do that, but that's you guys' job. Um, when you say, the other thing though is when you say uh, to defeat terrorism, well, fundamentally the Christian message is that the only thing that will ever defeat the evil of man is, is bowing at the knees of, of Jesus Christ. Um, the lordship of Christ, uh, and this is something I can't develop right now because we're late, but one of the issues I'd love to discuss in the future would be how we look, how Islam looks at man and how Christianity looks at man and the fundamental difference between what we believe is called regeneration, conversion, and how a person becomes a Muslim by saying, la ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasulullah. What is involved in that and what's the results of that, I think fundamentally has to do with how peace could be brought, brought together. Um, but unfortunately, our time is up and we rarely get to talk about that kind of thing anyways, so sure. we'll, we'll do so in the future. Would you please thank these two gentlemen? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm not going to give the final word. Bob? I just wanted to just say thank you and take two minutes to uh, just express my gratitude on behalf of everybody from RTS that uh, you're here. We're hoping to have many more of these, so I want to hear from you. So if you do have comments, things uh, that you would like to hear, uh, please feel free to engage us in that. Uh, we love this, and uh, today was a special time. I was really concerned about a four-hour conversation, but, you know, I just thought it was a wonderful time. So I hope you were gratified and, uh, and uh, edified by it. Uh, I just want a couple of quick announcements to thank some people, you know, that, uh, that worked so hard on this. And uh, Elizabeth in the back, thank you very much. The sound crew, um, our guests, of course, and our moderator, thank you so much. Michael, you were so gracious in what you did. And uh, if you would, um, take some time after this to pray, you know, for unity. Uh, pray for what the Lord would reveal to you in this and, and what God would reveal. And also, if you would, uh, when you leave, um, just uh, say thanks to a few of the folks. And please stop by our bookstore if you want. Um, you know, it's open. Um, we have some wonderful things over there for you to read if you'd like to get more clarity on some things. Thank you again for coming.